0: So a series on the book of Revelation. I was talking to a friend the other day, and he was asking what we were planning to preach about this fall. And I said, Revelation. He said, Revelation, why are you doing that? And you might be asking that yourself. Why would we be doing a fall series on the book of Revelation? Well, I figured that since our lives are full of so much uncertainty uh, confusion, and division, it would just be good for us to tackle one of the most perplexing, confounding, and controversial books in the Bible. <laughs> Doesn't that sound great? Wise idea. Um, well, I'm kidding, of course, a little bit. Yet, Revelation is a highly controversial book, probably one of the most controversial books in the Bible. And frankly, it has been from the very beginning. I've heard it said that there are two kinds of Christians. There are those who are obsessed with the Book of Revelation, and those who avoid it at all costs. And for most of my Christian life, I was in that second category. I was raised in a church that never said anything or taught anything about the Book of Revelation. I was uh, avoided it personally myself. It just seemed so strange and weird and scary and confusing. You know, full every time I tried to read it, I would encounter all of these. Symbols and colors and visions and seals and bowls and trumpets and blood and beasts and dragons and all kinds of crazy numbers and astrology and I mean just, what, and, and I would often find myself asking, what is this even doing here? Why is this in the Bible? Why does this end the Bible? What is this book even about? Well, a couple of years ago, I started studying this book and I want you to know I have become convinced over the last couple of years that this book is one of the most helpful, one of the most powerful, and one of the most relevant books in the whole Bible that speaks such a necessary word to us in this current moment. And even more than ever, I mean, I planned, I planned to do this series more than a year ago. Now, suddenly even more relevant than ever. Now, why would that be? Well, a lot of it depends on how you read the book and how you interpret it. Now, when most of us think of the book of Revelation, uh, we immediately associate it with what we might call sort of end-time enthusiasts, Uh, people who might use the book as a secret decoder of current and future world events, studying the numerology and the symbols and stirring up apocalyptic frenzy and making guesses about the return of Christ and the destruction of the world. Well, I I just want to say up front uh, that that is not how I intend to interpret or preach through this book. And the reason is because I do not believe that is what this book was intended to be by the original author. The number one principle of faithful biblical interpretation. And I hope you always know this. You can write it in the front cover of your Bible. The number one principle of faithful biblical interpretation is to pay attention to the author's original intent. And what was the author's original intent of the book of Revelation? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. But we can just say briefly here, you can see it from the very first few words of the book. verse one, verse one, one, Chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ. That's what this book is about, the the revealing of Jesus. Note it says revelation, not revelations, plural, that's a pet peeve of mine, it is not revelations, but the revelation of Jesus. That is John's goal in this book, more than anything else, above all other things, to reveal the person of Jesus, to display Jesus in all of his beauty, all of his glory, and all of his power. I love this quote from Bible scholar Daryl Johnson. He says this, no other book of the Bible presents the gospel as powerfully as the last book does. It's quite a claim. No other book of the Bible, in the face of all that threatens to undo us, proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ the way the last book does. More particularly, in no other book of the Bible do we see Jesus as he is right now, as clearly and compellingly as we do in the last book. Friends, let me tell you, if, if, if that statement is true, what he's saying, in light of all that we are going through, in the light of pandemics and social unrest and racial discord and natural disasters and impending election, financial instability, personal anxiety in the face of all of this— here is what we most need right now, a bigger, clearer vision of Jesus Christ. This is what we most need. This book is not offering to change your circumstances. It probably won't. But it is offering to change your perspective On your current circumstances to give you a new vision of reality in which Jesus, the Lamb on the throne, is at the center of reality, which will give you the perseverance and courage to patiently endure. It's one of the great themes of this book. And so that is what this book is offering a new, bigger, fresher, clearer vision of Jesus. So we can only get into some introductory materials today. Um, so let's just look at the first eight verses and just try to answer the simple question of what is this book? What is it? What kind of book is this? Your you know, eighth grade English teacher might say, what genre uh, is this book? If you, if you read the Chronicles of Narnia like it was a history book instead of children's fiction, then you will be very confused about history and think that animals can actually talk. You have to be clear on what a book is if you want to interpret and understand the book rightly. And so let's try to answer that question today. What kind of book is this so that we can understand and interpret it well? Okay. So let's answer that question by looking at what John himself, the author, says about what this book is. So first of all, what we are clear about from the first eight verses is that Revelation is a letter. Revelation is a letter. Look at verse four. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. So we see from the very start that this book is a letter just like Romans or Galatians or first Peter. Revelation is actually the longest letter in the Bible. It is a letter written by a specific person to a specific audience who are living in a specific historical circumstance, who are living in specific places, dealing with certain specific historical trials. And so if we're going to understand this book, that's the first thing we got to do is recognize what was going on in the historical context of this time that would propel John the author to write this letter to these people. Who is, first of all, let's look at the author. Who is John? Well, most Christians in the first few centuries believed that this John was the apostle John. Uh, this, is the friend of Jesus, the same guy who wrote the gospel of John. Other people believe, and most modern scholars believe, that the writing in Revelation is too different from that of the apostle John, and so that this is another John, a different John, who was a pastor in western Turkey, Asia Minor at the time. Well, I've read a lot about this. What do I think? I don't know. He just says his name is John. (laughs) He doesn't say that he is the Apostle John, like Peter does in his letters. And so I think it's actually fine to be agnostic about this fact. We should always be careful never to insist that something is clear when the Bible doesn't make it clear. (laughs) That's another important principle, of biblical interpretation. And for this (laughs) particular book, what's clear, what we're certain about, is that John was a pastor. He has been persecuted for his faith, exiled to an island prison called Patmos. He's been given an amazing vision from Jesus, and he's writing a letter about it to his friends who are in trouble. So that's what we know about John. Second, who are these friends? Who are these friends that he is writing to? Well, verse 4 just says, to the seven churches that are in Asia. Now, there were more than seven churches in Asia. Uh, What we'll see throughout this book is that John is a poet. He loves symbols. He loves numbers. There's all kinds of crazy numbers in this book. Uh, Seven is a really important number to John, because in the Bible, seven signifies completion or wholeness. So when John says to the seven churches of Asia, he's just basically, it's a shorthand way of saying to all the churches in Asia. Now, why didn't he just say all the churches? I don't know. It just sounds cooler, I guess, to say seven seven churches. So he's writing a letter, and this letter was what's called a circular letter that was meant to be circulated through all of the churches in Asia Minor. So you can see in verse three, it says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy that would literally happen. Um, There were no church buildings at the time. Uh, Christians could not gather in large gatherings. Um, Another reason why this book is quite relevant for this moment. And so Christians would gather in small household micro gatherings in their homes, and this letter from John would get circulated from city to city, And when the letter arrived, someone who could read, there were very few people who could read, would stand up in the gathering of Christians, and they would read this letter from John from beginning to end. You thought church was long? Nuh-uh, not like this. (laughs) So, so, So this is what's happening here. John is writing a circular letter to Christians to encourage them and give them hope. Why did they need hope? Because life was very hard for them at this time. It was about 90 A.D., when this book was written. This was written at the end of the first century, and at that time, the world felt like it was falling apart. In 70 AD, the city of Jerusalem and the temple had been destroyed. The most important city in the world, it was like New York City getting raised. Then Peter and Paul, the two great apostles, had been crucified. And then a terrible emperor came into rule world called Domitian, who ordered that every subject of the Roman Empire worship him as Lord, and he began brutally persecuting and killing people who did not comply. And so John is writing to a group of people who feel like their world has fallen apart. Everything that they relied on for their own security has been stripped away. Their lives have been turned upside down. They feel confused and anxious and insecure and scared. And so John is writing them a letter to encourage them and give them hope and call them to persevere. And you say, well, I need a letter like that too (laughs) because I'm feeling a lot of those ways myself. Well, listen, friends, here's what's so amazing about the Bible. Yes, this book was not written to you, but it is written for you because the Holy Spirit has taken the words of John and he has given them to us through the word of God. And so this is not just a word to them, it is a word for you in your anxiety, in your sense of displacement, in your discouragement. This is a letter, a God a letter from God given and written for you. So receive it at that. Revelation is a letter. Second, though, it's a prophecy. Revelation is a prophecy. We see five times in Revelation, John says that this book is a prophecy. Look at verse three. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Now, this is one of those times when we need to be really careful to not take our modern English understanding of a word and superimpose it on an ancient meaning of a word. When we hear the word prophecy, we think of prediction. Prediction of the future. Predicting things that haven't happened yet. And this predictive approach to interpreting the book of Revelation has, in the last half of the 20th century up till today, become the dominant way that American evangelical Christians have interpreted the book of Revelation. This approach sees Revelation as being almost exclusively about the future, what will happen at the end of the world. This approach has been popularized by books like Hal Lindsey's book, Late Great Planet Earth, Um, and then it was really popularized by the Left Behind series, the books and the movies that came after it. And in this view... Revelation essentially gives us a secret coded transcript of the future events that will happen in history. And each generation is invited to to figure out how current sociopolitical events line up with the prophecy of John. Well, I could go into great detail why I believe this is the wrong approach. Um, I don't have time to do that now. I might do that on a podcast. But for now, I will just say that much of this Form of interpretation is based on a misunderstanding of the word prophecy. In the ancient world of the Bible, prophecy is not about prediction, but declaration. Not, pre- not prediction, but declaration. Look at what biblical scholar Michael Gorman says. He says, prophecy is not primarily about making pronouncements and predictions about the future. Instead, it's about speaking words of comfort and challenge on behalf of God to the people of God so that they are better equipped to live faithfully in their present context than in their or here and now. Or in the words of Eugene Peterson, prophets are not fortune tellers. The prophet is the person who says, "Thus saith the Lord." So when you hear the word prophecy, don't hear prediction, hear declaration. And sometimes the declaration might be a word about the future, but more often than not, in the Book of Revelation, it's a word for the here and now, and that's. What John is doing. What does he want to declare? What is the word that he, the prophet, is bringing? Well, like many prophetic books in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, John the prophet is critiquing the social and political world of his time and calling God's people to faithful resistance. Faithful resistance. Remember the context. These Christians were suffering under oppressive rule of the Roman Empire with an emperor who demanded that he be given honor as Lord and God. And many of these Christians were tempted to compromise their faith and assimilate into the Roman Empire culture around them. And in the face of that, John is writing them a letter insisting that despite all appearances, Caesar is not Lord. That his power is fragile and the true Lord of the world was a criminal that the Roman state executed, and who is now risen and exalted as king over the earth. Richard Hayes, one of the greatest New Testament scholars alive today, writes this. I love this quote. He says, the book of Revelation is above all else a political resistance document. It refuses to acknowledge the legitimacy and authority of earthly rulers and looks defiantly to the future when all things will be subjected to the authority of God. It seeks to rally the seven churches to a stance of courageous witness against a culture that dangles seductive defilements before the people of God. Friends, this is the original protest literature. We'll see the revelation just unfolds as a powerful critique of the Roman rule with its worship of the emperor, its terrible injustice, its ruthless power displayed through military, economic, political, and religious oppression. John is writing a seriously dangerous and subversive work, which might be one of the reasons why he wrote so symbolically, because he knew that the secret police were reading his mail. He's reminding the church, both then and now, not to give in to the demands and the rituals and the practices of a society that has already been judged by God and is about to come to its demise. He's saying, wake up, resist, overcome, one of his favorite words, overcome, and do it not by taking up the sword, but by going the path of the cruciform way following the slain lamb who reigns. You know, just as a tangent, I heard this rumor, and I I reached out to our friend Bob Metcalf, who was a missionary in China, and he reached out to a Chinese pastor this week on my behalf to just confirm if this was true. And it is that for a long time, churches in China were banned by the government from preaching the book of Revelation. Because, with all of its language about kingship and lordship and its clear critique of acting political rulers, it was considered too politically subversive of a book for preachers to preach. <laughs> which I think is amazing because it's saying that the communist Chinese government seems to understand the intent of this book than, than many American evangelical interpreters because they recognize that this is a book that is seeking to uproot the status quo and replacing it with a vision of a just and righteous world in which the new King Jesus alone reigns. So one of the most important questions we'll keep before us as we study this book is how we can read it as a prophetic word for us today. This is a good question. It's a hard question. What kind of prophetic critique does this book offer against the issues of idolatry and injustice that we face today as Richmonders, as Virginians, as Americans? How is it unmasking the realities around us for what they really are. That's one theme in the book of Revelation. It's looking at the glitz and glamour of Rome and unmasking it to see the monster that it is beneath. Jamie Smith says, in John's day, the Roman empire interpreted itself as a gift to civilization and the zenith of human accomplishment. But John's apocalypse shows us the reality that Rome is a monster. Who are the monsters we face? John's prophecy aims not just to comfort, but to challenge, convict us. Because we may be participating in church. We may be participating in the very evil for which this oppressive world system will be judged. As we get into this book, we will see that that the greatest challenge that the church faces is not persecution, but compromise and complacency. They did not recognize Rome for the beast that it is. They made Rome their home and had given themselves over to its idolatrous and unjust ways. What about us? Can we see the beast? Can we see the beast in us? Do you ever wonder, I do, if our compromise is so mainstream that we can't even see it? You one of that? Well, this book will ask us that question, because it's not just a letter, it's prophecy. So it's a letter, it's a prophecy, and finally, this book is an apocalypse. Look at verse 1. Literally, the Greek says, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. This is yet another time we have to pay really close attention to the original context and the meaning of this word and not apply our modern understanding onto the old. You know, when we hear the word apocalypse, what do you think of? Doomsday. Catastrophe. The end of the world. We even, you know, I've actually heard, you probably have too, the adjective apocalyptic to describe many of the catastrophic seemingly world-altering events that have happened to us over the last six months. But I want you to hear that in John's time, that's not what the word apocalypse meant. Apocalypse, in its original meaning, simply means to reveal or unmask or uncover or disclose. Let me give you a great example of this from the Gospels. So in Luke chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus says, I praise you, Father. Because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you have apocalypsed them. That's the word that he uses. You have apocalypsed them to little children. You can see we translate that in English as revealed, but it's the same exact word in Luke 10, 21, as John uses here in Revelation 1, 1. Apocalypse simply means to reveal, unmask, disclose what was hidden or what was covered. So in the Wizard of Oz, when Toto pulls back the curtain to reveal the true identity of the wizard. Apocalypse. Uh, when you smell something delicious in the kitchen and you see a big pot on the stove with a lid and you take it off to see what's inside. Apocalypse. When Darth Vader pulls off his mask and reveals the ugly father of Luke that he is beneath. Apocalypse. Right? That's what apocalypse means. It's an unveiling, unmasking, revealing disclosure. And this is so helpful in our understanding of this book because we often think of Revelation as a book of hidden secret knowledge that only the truly spiritually enlightened can understand and unlock through a careful study of history and political events. But that's the exact opposite of what John is intending. The purpose of this book is not to hide, it is to disclose, it is not to secretly conceal, but to openly reveal. And what is John revealing? What is he apocalypsing? Jesus Christ, risen and reigning. Verse four, grace and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Friends, this book is revealing Jesus unlike any other book in the Bible, in his current risen, reigning, exalted state. It is not a sequential timeline of the future. It is an imaginative telling and retelling of the story of salvation with, in every case, centering that story in the person of Jesus, displaying Jesus in kaleidoscopic portraiture. We will see Jesus in this book as the first and the last the Alpha and the Omega, the living one, the faithful witness, the ruler of the kings of the earth, the potentate of history, the triumphant rider, the bridegroom, the lion, and above all, the slain lamb who was slain and is now ruling and reigning over history. This book, more than anything else, is pulling back the curtain, opening up the pot, unmasking reality, insisting things are not what they seem more is going on right now than you can perceive. It may look like the world is unraveling. It may appear that the ruthless and powerful cannot be stopped. It may seem like the poor and the oppressed will never have justice. It may seem like your situation is dire. It might look like you will never get out of this mess that you are in. But here is reality. Despite all the that might seem to the contrary, despite your feelings and perceptions or common sense might tell you this is the greatest truth of the reality of the universe. The lamb has triumphed and he is on the throne. Apocalypse. And in that light, in light of who Jesus is and what he is right now and what he will do when he comes to renew all things, this book is inviting you to live differently, live faithfully, Resist the violent, death-dealing, dignity-stealing, sin-drenched, power-mongering society around you and follow this slain lamb into the new creation. It is a call to action, call to radical discipleship. John Stott says this, Revelation is above all else an unveiling of the greatness and glory of Jesus Christ for this is what a beleaguered church needs more than anything else not a series of prophecies about the past or the future or a coded panorama of church history but a disclosure of the incomparable Christ once crucified now resurrected and reigning and one day returning in power and great glory this is what we need more than anything else certainly what I need y'all this has been a rough week (laughs) it's been one of those weeks where I just thought when is is this going to end the season that we're in. And you know, John has had an endless series of rough weeks. And he, after he had this vision of Jesus, his circumstances weren't any different. He was still stuck on Patmos. He was still in isolation, still hungry, still alone. His circumstances weren't different, but he was different. He was different because his perspective had been changed. His imagination had been opened to see reality as it truly is with Jesus, the Lamb on the throne And he's now writing to his friends, he's writing to you to offer that same encouragement. You who are tired and worn out and burned out and weary and fed up and confused and afraid, this book will not likely change your circumstances, but it can change your perspective on your circumstances so that your eyes are open to see things as they really are. So those of us who are struggling to keep going, who are faltering and failing, you are invited to see Jesus, the faithful witness. Those of us who are living with a fear of sickness and death are invited to see Jesus, the firstborn among the dead. Those of us who spend huge amounts of time fretting about political movements and the outcome of the upcoming election in November need to see Jesus as the ruler of the kings of the earth. And those of us burdened by guilt and shame need to hear loudly and clearly that Jesus loves you and has freed you from your sin by his blood. So what we need more than anything, more than anyone, is a revelation, a disclosure, an uncovering, an unmasking, an apocalypse of Jesus Christ and who he is for us. Let's pray that happens for us this fall. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you and praise you for this mysterious, wild, sometimes seemingly incomprehensible book. Uh, And we invite your Holy Spirit to help us as we study it together this fall, that we would read it in the way that John intended it to be read as a revealing of true reality in which Jesus, the slain lamb, is on the throne. Change our perspective so that we might endure patiently and faithfully. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.